This is World to Win, bringing you the latest news and analysis from a socialist perspective. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of World to Win. We are doing a special episode this time, but before we get into that, please go and first of all, follow us uh, on our social media and also subscribe to our YouTube channel and to us on all of the podcast platforms that uh, we're going to be on. So uh, you can also listen on there as well. But before we get going, I want to say hi to my co-host Toya. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm ready to talk about this episode. It's all I've been able to think about. Um, and I know all my coworkers and friends were just watching the news, watching our social media, seeing these insane videos. So I'm so glad that we could do this special episode today. Yeah, I know. We only talked about this in our last episode, the episode 63. And we were just talking about kind of like the situation heating up in Eastern Europe. But now we are in a fully fledged war. Um, so I know that like a lot of people, I think, uh, in the West, especially like we've been, uh, I've been doom scrolling, uh, all day in the past few days, uh, uh, seeing what's happening. It's obviously frightening. Uh, and I think there's so much that we can say about it, uh, you know, like already, even though we're like, we are recording today uh, on Sunday, the 27th. So a day before you're seeing this. Uh, and already we're seeing uh, uh, hundreds of uh, people killed. We're seeing uh, 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 Ukraine attacked by air, by sea, uh, by land. And it's just so frightening to, to see that um, the fighting is taking place literally everywhere. And uh, I, I know like so many people are trying to escape and it's just it's just genuinely so scary to see this happening. Um, well, and seeing and the that, actual, yeah. the missiles going up in the air, people recording from their balconies, you know, I've seen, I've read a lot of the comments and people are just like, I've never seen war in real life, you know, like being able to see it actually happen. You see it on movies. And of course there are countries around the world who experience war every day. Um, but especially here in the U S you know, we fortunately for us, um, we haven't experienced it, you know, in person. And it's, it's, it's so sad seeing it happen. People just recording from their windows. Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, coming from Tel Aviv, I have seen missiles in real life, but it's nowhere near on this scale uh, that's happening right now. And I can't imagine what it must feel like uh, in Ukraine, but also in the surrounding uh, regions uh, uh, that, you know, have so much going on. But I think, especially what is really fascinating to me in this is how compared to you know the last major attack on ukraine in 2014 we are seeing so much more kind of opposition to it not just internationally but also in russia itself so uh, uh, i know that, we, that we've seen kind of major protests of thousands even hundreds of thousands of people uh, around the globe but we've also seen uh, places in Russia where people are trying to oppose and obviously the government in Russia is not having any of it but I think that is particularly interesting and, and we're so lucky to have Valeri here from uh, the ISA with us today uh, to kind of talk about the situation that's happening in Ukraine and in Russia also and kind of what we can do because I think that a lot of people around the world right now are feeling very helpless uh, in like you know like seeing these like huge uh, war machines, imperialist powers fighting and seeing the impact that, it's ha that it has on working class people. So, hi Valeria, I'm not going to ask you what you've been doing in the past week because I think uh, we can all imagine, uh, but how are you doing? Well, um, 
<laughs> I'd like to say we're doing well. But when you look at the news, of course, it is it is horrific. You have the situation, as you say, in Ukraine, where there is literally a, a war using modern weapons taking place. And we should remember that Ukraine has experienced war before because it was the center of the worst, most brutal fighting during the Second World War because of the Nazi blitzkrieg on the region. Uh, you have the situation in other countries, the countries that are fighting the war, uh, Russia, and now in the last hour, Belarus has officially joined the war. And what you're seeing there is a, a feeling of shock and disbelief amongst people that the government could be so stupid as to start this war. And you're seeing a reaction that is taking place, it seems, at almost every level of society. This picture on the screen is a demonstration in St. Petersburg on Thursday evening, just uh, on the same day as the occupation was announced. While we are talking, there are attempts to demonstrate across Russia in something like 40 or 50 cities. And the reports are that the police are being extremely brutal in, in suppressing them. I know that there's been people who have been detained in, uh, in Moscow, for example, including people who are, um, who are supporters or are, uh, are close to the ISA and so on. So the regime doesn't want to allow people on the streets, but there is an incredible, almost uh, widespread movement. Over a million people have signed an online signature against the war in Russia. You've had letters and petitions written by medical workers, by teachers, uh, by uh, IT workers, by students, and they're all collecting thousands of signatures. And what is important is that people know when they sign a piece of paper like this in Russia, they're going to have to pay for it. There have already been cases of teachers who have been called in by their uh, head teachers and told you either remove your name from this petition or you have no job to go to. And people know about that and they know the risks and they're still prepared to go out and say enough is enough. We also have uh, in Belarus, today is a referendum. They're trying to repeat in Belarus what they did in Russia a year ago to change the constitution to in effect enshrine Lukashenko as the, if you like, uh, uh, so that he can keep on power for as long as he wants. And today, because of the announcement of war, people have been going into the voting booths across the country and they've started to chant no war, no to war. And it's, it, it, it's almost like a repeat of how the protest started a year and a half ago. And they've even managed to organize uh, a spontaneous protest outside the, um, I think it must be the, uh, the, the, um, the head of the defense uh, forces in Belarus to protest at the war. So despite the repression, people are coming out and they're saying, we do not want this war. We think it is wrong and uh, we don't understand what is going on. That's so inspiring, Valeri, that, you know, people are willing to put their neck out on the line and, and sign these these sorts of petitions. I can't imagine the fear people have just for putting pen to paper um, and signing their name coming out against the war. And it's it's, you know, uh, it, it just shows, you know, this great sense of international solidarity that people feel, even the, you know, people in Russia who, uh, you know, are on the other side of the war saying, no, we are against this. We don't want to see this. 
But can you go a little bit more into what it's like on the ground in Ukraine, specifically talking about um, the military intervention, but also um, the refugees? I've seen videos of people, you know, fleeing on subways and buses, but then also at the border of places like Poland. Can you talk a little bit more about what it's like for people there? I mean, there is um, how people have survived the last few days in Kiev, in Kharkov and the other cities that have been under under attack. It, it, it's, it's, it's impossible to imagine. They've been living in the metro stations. They've been uh, occupying underground car parks. They've been finding anywhere to shelter so they don't get hit by the uh, bombs and so on. And uh, I think, again, what is remarkable is that it appears that the whole Ukrainian people are resisting the attacks as best they can. It's true that some people have, they have young families and they have to try and get out of the country. And I think that's quite understandable and so on. But uh, there's a whole load of others who are going out and just prepared to do whatever they can to stop this intervention. Uh, the, there's some videos here and pictures that uh, I'm hoping we can put into a uh, display. Uh, there's one lad who stopped a tank by just standing in front of it and refusing to move. There's another picture of tanks coming into a town or a village and the whole population just comes out and stands in the road in front of the tanks so they can't move on. And this is going to have an effect because uh, Russians and Ukrainians as people, whatever their leaders may think, the Russians and Ukrainians have always felt themselves to be a united, um, a united people very close to each other, the language is very close, and many Ukrainians speak Russian as the first language anyway, and there are many, many joint marriages and friends and everything. So the idea of people coming out into the streets and stopping tanks is incredible. Now there's also others that quite understandably are taking up arms and taking up whatever weapons they can. They're signing up to join the National, the National Defense Force. Um, they're handing out weapons in Kiev and the other cities so that people have something that they can oppose. And this is important because what is happening is the Russian army thought they were going to get in. My understanding, I'm not a military expert, but my understanding is they thought they were gonna have Kiev under, at least Kharkov under control and probably Kiev within two days. They managed to get some troops into Kharkov, but the troops had been forced out again. And Kharkov is very close to the Russian border, of course. Uh, Kiev is a much more difficult situation. You've got a population of two and a half to three million there, all, all prepared to fight and so on. So that's, that's, that's the one side. You also have the refugees. Now, uh, there's an ISA member who is amongst that crowd on the border um, because he has a very young family. And within, within literally hours at the start of the uh, battle, there were rockets falling on, an, on a military base not far from where he lives. They could hear them from the window. They had to get out. So they made it to the border. And then, of course, um, Zelensky announced that males are not allowed to leave the country. So you're going to have this flood of refugees in Europe. And I suspect that the main countries of Europe are going to tell Poland and Romania that they have to deal with them, that uh, they don't want everybody coming across Europe. But you're going to have a lot of women and a lot of children having to deal with all the problems on their own, without the family around them, without, without, uh, without everybody else. Worried sick because their partners have been left in Ukraine and are having to take up arms, join the army, 
to fight this uh, intervention and so on. So there's going to be awful, awful problems that are faced. And I'm really concerned that while at the moment the European uh, leaders are sort of treating with sympathy and talking about this flood of refugees and how poor people are, I want to see them and I want to make sure that we have a fight to make sure that they are providing proper resources for them so that people have places to live in, so they have money to live on, so that they, so that, uh, they have the health care and mental, assist, uh, mental health care that they're going to need in the very, very near future, so that we don't have the problem with refugees that has been had before. Unfortunately, I don't think European leaders are going to be up to that. So I think we have to campaign for that as well. I think that's absolutely correct. And, you know, like hearing this, uh, you know, and, and I think a lot of people are like, are, like I said, I've been reading about this constantly and kind of not really understanding what's happening and hearing what you're saying now is just, you know, it's it's genuinely heart-wrenching. Like, it's 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 frightening. Uh, like, you can't, like, you know, you can't really put yourself in the, in, in the people, uh, in, the, in the shoes of the people in Ukraine right now because of how absolutely unimaginable the situation is there right now. But I think that together with that, together with the deep emotional connection, I think we feel like the solidarity that we feel with what's happening right now. There's also this question of, so why is this happening? Like, there's so much propaganda that's coming from both uh, both sides, all sides of uh, this conflict. And it's really, really difficult for us to kind of cut through what is actually happening. Um, so I was wondering if you could kind of explain to us why, why are we like, why, are the kind of the powers doing this right now? Why is this what's happening? Well, I think I, th I don't think I'm alone in saying even up to a week or 10 days ago that I couldn't believe that this was going to happen because on any basic logic, it, it, it's just completely crazy what has happened. But of course, that's not enough to explain what is going on. Over the past period, particularly since the pandemic, we've seen a realignment of the world taking place between the different imperialist powers that has a big effect. And you've had a build up really over a whole period now of this fight between the different imperialist powers, between China and the US on the one hand, you've had it between the US and Russia, or Russia and Europe as they've been building up and so on. And it's like two bullies in a playground that they don't set out to have a fight, but one starts to threaten the other and then the other one starts to throw the threats back. Oh yes, and I can, I, if you start something, I'll make sure that we hit you even harder and so on. And it got to the stage where they couldn't back down. And uh, Putin, who has a crazy reactionary ideology based in something out of the 19th century, if you read the material that he's talking about now, who just thought that Ukrainian people were by right part of Russia, when it's quite clear that Ukrainian people don't want to be part of Russia in that sense. They want their own independent state and they have absolutely every right to their own independent state without any interference. And there is a mood in Ukraine as well that I think is also completely understandable that for years, NATO, the European Union, the US have been saying, uh, we will protect you, uh, we will help you, 
Ukraine even applied to join NATO and the EU, and they were they haven't been turned away. They, their their application was just put off and put off and put off, uh, on the excuse that they haven't got um, uh, security of their own borders as a country. Um, and now that this has happened, uh, many many Ukrainians feel they've been abandoned. I think that's summed up by the comment from Zelensky yesterday. Who announced in um, uh, who announced that the Americans had contacted him to offer him and his family a flight out of the country? Apart from the callousness of what, what about the rest of the Ukrainians? Don't they get flights out of the country as well? But Zelensky turned around and says, "We don't need any of your flights. What we need is we need weapons and ammunition." And uh, that that reflects a feeling amongst any many many Ukrainians. They have been abandoned by the West, and there's even talk now about these, the measures that are now being made, these mother of all sanctions that are being announced. Um, you listen to them, you think, oh, yeah, you know, the Europeans and the Americans, they're really doing what they can. Now. The sanctions aren't going to make the slightest bit of difference to the people in charge. Um, they've removed SWIFT, sorry, they've removed a number of Russian banks from the SWIFT um, IT system. The banking IT system. What is that going to mean? It just means that the people who used the banks that are now banned from using SWIFT are going to use the other Russian banks that aren't banned. They're talking about making the oligarchs pay out of their pocket. They boasted that on the first day of the war, the Russian oligarchs lost $32 billion because of the 40% collapse of the stock market in Russia and the collapse of the ruble. Yeah. $32 billion for them is nothing. They've got $640 billion in the bank, just the oligarchs. The Russians don't have that money in the bank. It's the oligarchs that have it. And of course, on the second day, they recouped most of the losses because the stock market went back up again. And they're going to make even more money because the price of oil and gas on the world market is going to increase. And that's where they get all their riches from. So the sanctions aren't going to make any difference either. They're, they're, what what they're doing was summed up by um, uh, Biden today. I think it was today in an interview. He said, we had a choice. We can either have sanctions or we can have third world war. And doesn't that really sum up the whole capitalist system? Either money or soldiers. They see no other way out of this than by doing that. And they're afraid of a, a third world war for obvious reasons, because that'll hit their profits. So they just think they can deal with money. They don't think for a second. Let's take the money out of the banks of these oligarchs. Let's take it out. Forget, forget sanctions. Forget blocking SWIFT, which affects more ordinary people than it does the oligarchs. Take the money out of their banks and we'll use it to provide their proper homes and jobs and health care. And that will demonstrate to the people in Ukraine and in Russia that there genuinely is a better society that we could do. But of course, these captains can't do that because that's against their system. Yeah, you know, I thought it, like at some point it got so kind of ridiculous. Like I saw that Russia is no longer allowed in the Eurovision this year, like as if like, you know, these sanctions are, like are just these countries doing things in order to just do things without actually thinking about what what the people on the ground actually need and how we can solve this 
absolutely insane thing that's happening. And I was wondering, can you tell us a bit about what actually like normal working class people on the ground are thinking about this? Why are they thinking this is happening? And how like what what is the kind of mood that's going on right now? Well, I think the general mood at the moment is just disbelief that this could be happening and disbelief and horror and horror that it has been done in the name of ordinary Russians and ordinary Belarusian people. There's been another, I've already commented that there's been petitions signed by doctors and uh, teachers and so on. Uh, there's um, a, a trade union, a free trade union of metal workers in uh, Belarus that, uh, that played a certain role in the protests of last year. And they issued a statement that uh, they were against the war and that working people would have, abs have absolutely nothing to gain from this conflict between the different capitalist powers, which is pretty pretty near to the uh, near to the truth and so on. Of course, their office was then raided that day by the police, and their, two of their leaders were arrested and so on for speaking out to the war. It's quite clear that most people are against the war. They're worried about the economic consequences, not just of the shutting off of the banking systems and so on, but they know that we're going to be paying higher prices. Prices in uh, in Ukraine, in Russia have been going up like they have in the rest of the world anyway. And now they're going to go up even higher. And that is going to affect people in Europe as well, because energy prices are going to go up as a result of this. Food prices are going to go up because Ukraine and Russia supply an awful lot of wheat to the rest of the world and so on. So uh, for many, many people, yes, it's, 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 we're fed up. There's another very important factor here. There are now numerous indicators that all is not well within the Kremlin, because it was quite clear from the very beginning that when he had his televised Security Council speech, that it had been practiced beforehand and the people that wanted to speak against the war were told they couldn't do that. They had to say what, uh, what uh, Putin himself wanted to hear in that uh, speech. But there were rumors that a significant layer of the senior military were not happy at the plans to invade and, and uh, so on and so forth. And that seems to have taken a step up today because Kadyrov, who is the ultra dictatorial ruler of Chechnya, has uh, sent, um, it's, it looks like it's thousands of Chechen troops into Ukraine. And the rumor is they're trying to uh, uh, reinforce the rest of the Russian troops around the Kiev and so on. Now, they are really the, the ultra violent uh, troops who won't hold back at anything. And because they're not Russian as well, they probably won't have that much sympathy for the Ukrainians. So, um, but he has apparently uh, told uh, Putin today that he's unhappy with the lackadaisical way the war has been fought in, in uh, Ukraine and asking to be given overall charge of the operation, which would be absolutely brutal if he takes over. But it means as well that he would be in a position when this is over to say to Putin, now well, I would like to have some control over the Russian military as well, which would be absolutely horrific for the uh, vast majority of Russians. And I can't see that the majority of Russians would even stand that. But this sign of a, a, already a certain division at the top is becoming very, very significant. 
Thanks, Valeria. This has been, you know, a really enlightening discussion. And I'm thinking back about, um, you know, what my coworkers and friends have been talking about in regards to Ukraine. And, you know, the overwhelming majority of them watch the mainstream media, which, of course, is, you know, simplifying this down to Russia is bad. Putin wants more land. He's mad that Ukraine wanted to join NATO. And so he's trying to, you know, take over without any sort of real analysis of the role of, you know, the rest of NATO or the U.S. Um, and also, you know, without any criticism of uh, what the U.S. has done over the years in regards of, to invading other countries, etc. Um, in our last week's episode, we did talk a little bit about um, imperialism more broadly. But as a socialist, Valeri, um, you know, what do you say when people ask, why is this happening? You know, is it simply because Ukraine wants to remain independent um, or is there more to it? How would you explain it to someone? I think we have to be quite blunt about this. NATO was set up during the Cold War as an anti-Soviet military bloc that, as you say, has um, has carried out some very, very vicious attacks on different uh, countries uh, during the last 30 years. Don't forget what happened in Belgrade when there was a bombing of the city of the Belgrade uh, in Serbia. Don't forget what happened over the uh, intervention in Iraq, which uh, was also uh, hit by sanctions that led to the uh, deaths of many, many people and many, many children included uh, after Western sanctions. Let's not forget the wars that have been fought in Syria, in uh, Libya, what has been going on maybe more with French imperialism in Mali and so on. And uh, NATO and um, uh, the American and uh, European powers have been just as brutal in the way that they have put down countries and peoples that have been standing in the way of their profits. And in many cases in Iraq and so on, in the way of them getting oil and so on. Of course, oil is not so much of an issue here, but NATO has been spreading energetically across Eastern Europe. It has troops in Romania, it has troops in Poland, it has troops in the three Baltic states. Um, it, it, uh, it and NATO countries have been assisting and helping out the Ukrainians since 2010, I think it is, something like $3 billion worth of military aid and assistance has gone into Ukraine from the US and UK alone, just from the two countries. And so when they say we haven't been in Ukraine, we haven't been encroaching on uh, the Soviet Union, of course, that's not true. Now, Putin, of course, doesn't like that because these were countries that in the past would have looked towards Russia. Now, Ukraine has the right to decide its own path. But the reality of it is, since independence, the Ukrainian leadership, and the Ukraine has just as many nasty oligarchs as uh, Russia does, um, uh, uh, they have been playing off uh, one side against the other. Some, some oligarchs are pro-European, pro-Western. Some oligarchs have been pro-Russian and so on. And there's been this constant conflict in Ukraine between these two, uh, two issues that have led to uh, uh, led to the conflict that now Putin has seen that there's a certain weakening and confusion in, in the Western power. So he saw that this is his chance to um, try and um, take back control 
in Ukraine itself, so that he could then draw a line across Eastern Europe, say Ukraine is with Russia, Belarus is with Russia. Of course, you've got uh, you've got the, um, the the Central Asian states that are somewhere between China and Russia as well. Uh, but it would have given him the possibility to say NATO, that's far enough. We should not forget that when Putin first came to power, he himself raised the idea of Russia joining NATO. And until 2014, there was even a NATO base in Russia itself, in Ulyanovsk, which was used as a transit point to Afghanistan. So Putin himself has to take some of the blame for this. Yeah, I think this the, this whole situation is uh, really confusing. And like we said, it's also because there's, there's very few people who are fully pro-war right now. I think we've had a really difficult few years and the situation right now is very different to the situation that uh, happened before uh, in the last kind of attack on Ukraine. Um, and I think especially when you see the situation in Russia and the, the, the kind of mistrust, the distrust uh, within the Russian government and Putin uh, is very kind of glaring. But I think generally across the globe, we've seen these, uh, the, these you know, the, the events of the, of the past few years, whether it's uh, COVID or all of the horrible kind of um, uh, cost, cost of living issues that have been going on around the world, uh, as well as energy, climate, all of these things just really made people really angry. And in this situation, you know, we, we talked about all of these previous wars um, that had similar kind of uh, effects. We have seen, you know, for example, with Iraq or Afghanistan, we've seen huge movements like anti-war movements. Uh, and I think a lot of people were also radicalized by these anti-war movements and by seeing ordinary, ordinary people just like them being, uh, you know, bearing the brunt of imperialist wars. Um, so I was wondering, what is the situation right now with this? Uh, what, what is kind of like the resistance that, hap that is happening? And is there uh, kind of a chance for a similar anti-war movement as well as the sentiment that we are seeing around? Well, I think um, I, I, I was going to say time will tell, but I think time is already telling because that demonstration that we've seen in Berlin today is absolutely incredible. I don't know how many are on it, but it looks to me like there's hundreds of thousands on, on the demonstration. And I think that would have a, react, a reaction elsewhere in encouraging the movements and protests and so on. And of course, um, the, the, uh, Klitschko, who is mayor of Kiev, he will be known to some of those who, might, who like the more brutal forms of sport in the West as the former boxer who then went into politics and became mayor of Kiev. And I think his brother is still a world champion or something. But he has just made a call to Russians to support the anti-war movement and to, he's a right-wing politician, by the way, he's not a left-wing one. Um, uh, he's called on Russians to support the movement, not to give any assistance to uh, soldiers that are fighting in the war. He's called on soldiers to refuse to fight and incidentally, there have been some reports of quite significant, um, uh, if you like, mutinies amongst layers of the troops, although they are not confirmed. They may be fake reports. Nevertheless, they are out there at the moment. Um, and he's called on people who work in factories and so on to refuse to work until the war is stopped. Now, that sounds like a good idea. It's something that we would call for. 
But the problem is, and this is the problem, is that after the uprising in Kazakhstan, after the uprising in Belarus, after the uprising in Myanmar, and a number of others in Northern Africa and so on, we've seen uh, that these pro-capitalist leaders lean on the working class when it is a benefit to them. And they're quite happy for the working class to stop work if it benefits them at a certain particular time. But then they turn around and send the working class back to work and the working class ends up paying for not being organized and not, being not having their own defensive or organizations to defend themselves and not having their own independent political position. So certainly I would support any strikes that are organized uh, or refusals to fight and so on. I, I think that would be good, but I think the key thing is, and this applies in Ukraine as well, that we, uh, that we should not be having any confidence in the pro-capitalist leaders who at the moment may be fighting with us. But when the fight is nearing its end, they will abandon the working class. They will forget about working class rights and working class living standards and so on, and just use it for their own ends. We have to use this opportunity, even though it seems extremely difficult at the moment to organize, to put forward independent political ideas. That means, for example, in Ukraine, I'm sure there are people there who are taking up uh, arms themselves to oppose the Russian intervention. I've seen pictures of Russians in Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian citizens, stopping Russian soldiers, asking them what, what, what on earth they're doing in Ukraine. I'm a Russian, I want to be a Ukrainian citizen and really putting the Russians on the spot. And that's what we need. We need working class solidarity, working class organization, and independent working class political activities that can get rid of once, once and for all of this rotten capitalism that creates these wars and will continue to create wars and conflict as long as it continues to exist. It's funny you mentioned the, the mayor of that city, you know, a right wing politician taking up left wing ideas and really leaning on the working class um, in their time of need. I, I had a coworker this morning just send me a video of the Ukrainian president. And, you know, he was explaining to me how brave he is for, you know, taking up arms. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, the U.S. said, we'll get you out. And he said, no, I'm going to stay, which I, I agree with. A leader should stay with their people. But it just goes to show um, that we can't simply rely on um, these capitalist politicians um, in these extreme dire situations. And it is hard to look, uh, you know, in the past or beyond war, but what positions are they taking, you know, outside of a war situation? Um, what have they done for the working class when, you know, their lives weren't being threatened, I think is something that we have to keep in mind for the bigger picture. Um, but Valeri, it's, it's a very scary time right now. And it's, it's depressing, um, you know, when you were speaking about the families trying to leave Ukraine and the men being forced to stay and the mothers with their children, my eyes were literally watering up because it's, it's so sad to imagine this sort of situation. Um, but we as socialists, you know, we look at the, the, the world situation, we look at our, our individual lives, um, and even though they're hard and we, we, we know that there is a, a way to move forward and there is a better future. So, you know, in this terrible time of war, 
How can we keep our spirits high? How can we look forward and, 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 and move forward to uh, a, a better future, in your opinion? Well, we had a meeting of the ISA executive this week, and one of our German comrades actually um, made a very, very telling point. He said, we know that capitalism is the midwife of uh, war. But we also know that war is the midwife of revolution. And I think we have to look at it in this situation. This is an extremely dark situation where people are suffering. And I certainly am not suggesting that um, it is good to be in a bad situation and then people start to think we need to change because I certainly do not agree with that position and nor does ISA. But the reality of it is that this shock to the consciousness of people in Ukraine, in Russia, in Belarus, and uh, uh, across Europe, and clearly as well in, in the US, um, is, is going to make people think even more. What is it about this system that is wrong? And I think, yes, we should be, we should be unhappy and angry about what is happening. But the way out of it is to do everything we can to organise against this system. Uh, we had a message this week from uh, Ireland where one of the uh, Rosa activists was unjustly arrested for organising a protest about the, the recent uh, femicide that took place in Ireland. And she uh, the court eventually uh, released her without charge. And an Irish comrade wrote to us and said, well, I know it's probably not a major thing at this time, uh, to talk about this when there's so much bad going on in the world. But it is a victory. And my understanding of this is, yes, and it's, a, it, it, it's these small victories that added together help us to get through a movement like this and to understand that we have to build. What, what happened in, um, in parts of Europe, where there has been an authoritarian regime and so on, is maybe over the last year or so when it doesn't seem as if much is going on people have kept their heads low but when it's been necessary to say something openly on the streets and then you've had people coming out so we have to use this as an opportunity now to try and build an organization that really can in the future uh, change this system so this doesn't happen again i think that is you couldn't put, have put it better out really and i think that the work that um, uh, our comrades in the region as well are doing is so inspiring. Uh, and I think I saw this morning, um, there's been so uh, many people kind of printing out the posters and sticking them everywhere in Russia. And it's just so amazing to see because of the high levels of repression and because of how much, you know, is at stake if you do that, seeing this kind of explosion of people saying no enough is enough we are we don't want this war to be done in our name is incredible really and then when you add to that all of these like you said little victories that we can gain uh, around the world and kind of having this uh realistic but optimistic view towards the fact that this is something that can be changed it's not something that's you know we're doomed to always have uh 
is so important and I think that you know being part of an international organization international socialist organization like this is one of these things that you know at least personally for me get me out of bed in the morning because otherwise it's very easy to fall into these nihilistic ideas of uh, you know well we're doomed but we are doomed if we don't do anything about it but if we do something about it there's so much potential so I really kind of agree with you uh, ev everyone who's watching us if you know uh, not yet a member of, uh, of ISA please join us there'll be a link to join in the description box uh, but that is so important and thank you so much uh, Valerie for having uh, uh, spoken to us today I think this was really kind of eye-opening uh, for me but I think for a lot of people who are going to watch it uh, about both what is happening without all the propaganda that's going on uh, uh, also what we can do so thank you so much thank you for those of you who didn't tune in last week make sure you do um whether a refresher or to hear what we were talking about um in regards to ukraine and just kind of the broader situation i think today valeri really answered a lot of the questions that we've all been having about what is really going on um on the ground in in ukraine and in russia and so for this week's shout out of the week, we want to just give a huge hug of solidarity to everyone around the world who has been participating in anti-war protests, um, you know, calling on Russia to remove the troops, but especially those in, in Russia and hundreds of cities in Russia, there have been protests and they've be, been, um, you know, brutal in stopping these and many people have been arrested. And so we in the, in the ISA are calling for all those who have been arrested um, to be released from jail um you know in in their uh you know civil right to be able to protest the anti-war movement and also another hug of solidarity to all of those ukrainians who are being forced to flee and those who are staying to fight um yes good luck to you all and we hope to help build an organization that can stop um these types of of wars in the future and so like yara said if you're watching this and you haven't um, yet considered to join uh, the International Socialist Alternative, no matter where you are in the world, um, you can become a member and you can find us in the, in the link below. So thank you so much for watching us today and we will see you all next week. This is World to Win. Every Sunday we broadcast with speakers from across the globe, bringing you the latest news and analysis on the fast moving global events from a socialist perspective. Subscribe to the International Socialist Alternatives YouTube page and click the bell to get notified when we go live for a new episode. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram because there's a lot to do and we have a world to win. When they fight! When they fight! When they fight! Solidarity!